Hey, did you go outside today, get some sun, meet with your friends, or be in nature one way or another? I get happiness out of being in nature because I like the surroundings and sounds. It sometimes feels energising and some of the views are really breathtaking. I get so much out of nature. I get peace, fun, energy, joy and so much more. Nature impacts all my senses and I love seeing different species of plants and animals. I'm really happy I live in this house because we have a huge lane and we used to live in a very small apartment. We couldn't go into the wild. Sometimes we pretend we're on adventures and it just reminds me of far school. Planting trees, going on the swings, running out there, playing games. You can run, jump and it just feels excellent to breathe in the fresh air. I like being out in nature because the air, but it can be a bit chilly sometimes so you need to put on your coat. For years, people stereotyped anyone who was interested in nature and the environment as tree huggers. But what if we embraced the term? What's so wrong with hugging a tree? We all get so much from our time in nature. The fresh air, the smells of the undergrowth, the feel of a tree trunk as you brush by it with your hand. Forest bathing is a form of ecotherapy begun in Japan in the 90s, which prescribes just that. By opening our senses to woods and wild spaces, we bridge the growing gap between us and nature. But what if you don't really know what it is that we are missing? My name is Dr. Una Fitzpatrick. I work in the National Biodiversity Data Centre and one of the projects I manage is the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. I suppose I've always been really interested in nature. My dad was a biology teacher and he used to take me out collecting plants and looking at various things in nature. So I suppose I've always had a love of it. And I've got really clear memories, you know, of, of my childhood, of, of various things. You know, I remember being scared to go outside the back door at night because there's so many moths flitting around the lights. I remember these little solitary bee nests used to appear in the garden every summer and back then I didn't know what they were, you know, little did I know what big part bees were going to be in my adult life. But I can clearly remember that and I remember, you know, my sister had this bumblebee club where they used to put the poor put upon insects into jam jars, you know, and let them go again. So I suppose I've got lots and lots of memories from childhood of, of, of nature and connecting with nature. And for me, one of the really worrying things is that my children don't have the opportunity to have those experiences. So where I was scared to go outside the back door at night because there were so many moths. My kids rarely see a moth. They come into the house occasionally in summer. That's their normal. And I, I hate the idea that children now, they don't know what's been lost. So how could we possibly expect them to feel strongly about protection when they have no idea what's been lost? So I think in some ways, you know, this has disappeared on our watch as grown-ups. And there's a huge responsibility on ourselves to try and do something about it. I know that, since you're listening to Ecolution, you do get the importance of biodiversity and preserving the nature we already have, but not everybody does. Biodiversity is incredibly important to us, and I suppose what's happened is that we've lost that direct link to it. So it's so important for health and well-being, even if we think about food, you know, we know pollinators are so important. A lot of what we eat originally came from biodiversity. Wheat, corn, they were all wild plants at some point that we domesticated. So there's such strong links 
there that, that have been lost in a past life I spent some time on, on tropical islands in the Pacific and to those people the idea that you'd have to protect biodiversity is just ludicrous like they know how dependent they are on it they only have this wee small island so of course they protect it the idea that you'd even have to think about that is daft then but because we don't have that direct connection anymore we have lost it so it's easy to forget how important it is to us we go about our daily lives and we don't think about biodiversity despite the fact that you know what we eat what we wear it all stems back to nature somehow so to not protect it it seems crazy in some ways but again understandable because we've lost that direct connection to it for years environmental groups like the iwt friends of the earth and greenpeace have worked hard to keep nature loss on the agenda and that work continues today so my name is Porrick Fogarty. I'm an ecologist and an environmental scientist and I work for the Irish Wildlife Trust and uh, I wrote a book called Twiddled Away, Ireland's Vanishing Nature. The Irish Wildlife Trust was set up in 1979, over 40 years ago. It was part of the awareness at the time about the trouble that nature was in. We were involved in campaigns to save the whale, campaigns around badgers and badger culling, which we still are actually after all these years. And a lot of the themes that we have been working on would be familiar to activists today. Maybe not climate change so much, but certainly around agriculture and fishing and saving bogs and water pollution. Working on these issues for so long, you do feel like there's an echo in the room every time you talk. You know, have I really been saying this for so long? I've been in this space for 10 years and it's remarkable to go back maybe and look at some of the things I wrote 10 years ago and I'm asking myself, has anything changed at all? But things have changed and I do have to remind myself that quite a bit. Things have changed and things are changing. The problem is they're not changing fast enough. There is growing awareness of the trouble that nature is in and the changes that are happening to our climate but my worry is that that sense of awareness is not matching the actions that we should be taking now. Because action is needed and needed quickly. In the past changes to our environment might seem to have happened slowly but that's not the case anymore. It's very hard to get your head around the extent to which nature has occurred because it has been going on for a very long time. So you could imagine the first people who came to Ireland, they would have seen a dense oak forest. And when farming came to Ireland about 5,000 years ago, one of the things the farmers did was clear the forest. So that forest isn't there anymore. So the countryside that my grandparents grew up in with hedgerows and fields and so on, that was their normal. They didn't miss the forest. Now, when I was a child, I remember fields being absolutely full of insects. I remember clouds of insects. Now, they're not there anymore. And the problem is that, you know, if you're a teenager today, you have no memory of that. You've no memory of the forest. You've no memory of the insects. You've no memories of the sounds of the countryside when it was full of nesting birds. And so that's normal to you. And so you don't look at the countryside as being a disaster zone in particular. It looks green and, you know, everything looks like it's in its place. And so that length of time that it has taken for that to happen means that we don't feel that sense of change that, you know, if we if we turned up tomorrow and discovered somebody put down all the trees in your local park, that you would feel that sense of abrupt change. But we have to accept that what we see happening in the Amazon today, where you're horrified at the fires and the extent of deforestation, that has happened in Ireland. We're post what has happened in the Amazon. And I guess what I mean by that is that if you feel horrified by what has happened to the Amazon, you should also feel horrified as to what has happened in Ireland today. 
So what if you take that and turn it around into action? How exactly do we get started on a path to rewilding? Hi everyone, my name is Rayo Falu and I work for an environmental charity. I'm really passionate about the natural world and rewilding and conservation. Rewilding is a fascinating process and I think to explain it properly, you'd have to kind of think about the way the landscape is now. When we look out at the landscape, the beautiful Irish landscape, and it is gorgeous, we see rolling green fields and that's great, but that's not the way the land would exist in its wild state. If the land was let to do its own thing, that is, if we stopped grazing animals on it or stopped cutting silage, the land would look very different. Rivers would expand in different ways. Small shrubs and trees would grow in areas that only grow grass now. And where those shrubs and trees would come in, you'd have certain types of birds or mammals would move into these areas. So that's the process of rewilding is letting land do what it naturally wants to do rather than the traditional human approach. In Ireland, the last couple of thousand years is where we try to make land grow food, which is important too, but it's just slightly different. Podrick mentioned it before, but what was Ireland like before we humans arrived? I'll give you like a really rapid history lesson in Ireland, 10,000 years in one minute. Ireland, when the ice sheets pulled back 10, 11,000 years ago, was pretty much a barren wasteland. It would have just had the soil called glacial till, not much would have grown on it. And slowly but surely over the next couple of thousand years, shrubs would have arrived and then trees would have arrived from Europe in seeds or carried by animals. And by about 8,000 years ago, Ireland would have had almost a complete canopy cover of native woodlands, mostly oaks, elms, alders, Scots pines. And that's the way it would have existed for quite a while. But in around the same time the trees arrived, humans arrived, at the time, we just had wooden axes, but our technology improved over time when we got metal tools. And you know, the nature of humans is to provide clear areas for them to graze animals or grow vegetables. And that's what we did. And slowly but surely, all the trees were eventually cut down. And so now we have, it's up for debate, but in and around 2% of Ireland is left with trees on it when it would have been 80 or 90%. Our landscape would have been a landscape of trees, tall oak woodlands. Pockets of old growth forest still do exist in Ireland. Owen Dalton has rewilded 32 acres of rainforest on the Barra Peninsula in Cork over the last 10 years. We hope to visit sometime in the future, but sometimes these pockets can be even smaller. To be fair, most of our trees were cut down a long, long time ago. And what survives in the landscape now in terms of native woodland cover often tends to be trees that are in places that are just really difficult to get to steep river valleys, cliff edges, sides of mountains. That's where the most authentic native tree cover still exists. What I do see is these little precious pockets of woodlands trying to grow and for very good reasons, farmers pushing them back. As they try to creep out into a field, that's what trees do, they drop seeds and the seeds will grow and the woodland will colonize open ground. But farmers clear these trees back because look at the end of the day, they're grazing animals, they need the animals to be able to eat grass and they need to be able to make money. So it's very understandable. How do I know when I'm in a healthy native woodland? The woodlands I'm really interested in seeing, and some people might be surprised to hear this, are these woods called temperate rainforests. You might believe we have temperate rainforests here in Ireland, but we do. And these are these woodlands that depend on moderate temperatures, so not too hot, not too cold, and very high rainfall. And we get that in a number of places in Ireland. And again, it's not just exclusive to the West Coast. These places exist in Wicklow, some places in the Midlands. And you know these places, these old growth temperate rainforests, because when you walk into them, 
every single surface is green. Because there's so much moisture, moss and lichens and ferns are able to just grow on every surface. So every part of the oak tree is covered in green. They're the places I'm really after. Temperate rainforests or old growth native Irish woodlands can have hundreds of different species of plant and insect all interacting with each other. Whereas if you went into a new plantation woodland, and I mean, they're important too. We need timber and we need, you know, we need other products. There's a need for balance in the types of woodlands we have in the landscape. But if you go into a plantation woodland, you'll find that there might only be 10 or 15 species. And so there's just not as much biodiversity. And as I said a minute ago, each little piece of biodiversity, be it an insect or a piece of moss or whatever it is, supports a whole other set of creatures and that ripples up through the, the food chain. So that's what I'm looking for. It's, it's diverse places. The loss of our original woodlands is huge. Replanting of new trees can help, but increasingly it's being suggested that rewilding and allowing old growth forests to expand is actually far better. In fact, it's essential in helping us deal with the climate crisis and their loss could be disastrous. Trees basically form the habitat at the bottom of a lot of food chains. I mean, the statistics about willow and about oak, that each of them can sustain over 250 different types of insects. Now, there could be tens of thousands of insects on any one tree, but 250 different species of insects could live on an oak tree or a willow tree. But why are insect populations so important? Well, for many reasons, but one of them is pollination. Let's go back to Dr. Una Fitzpatrick. Yeah, so what they're doing is they're moving pollen from one flower to the next. And what that does is it allows the plant to form a seed. It's like a tiny little baby plant. So when you have that little baby plant, it allows another plant to grow. Plants are so important to us. And I mean, we've talked to classes before and school and you say, put your hand up if you had plants for breakfast. And they're all saying, oh, no, of course I didn't. And then you say like, who had corn flakes? You know, that's a plant. You know, who had toast? That comes from wheat, you know, which is a plant. Who had orange juice? You know, that's a plant. So when you start to think about it, plants are so important to us. To have plants, to continually have new plants in the landscape, we need new seeds. And to make seeds, we need to move pollen from one flower to another. And that's why bees and other insects are so important. So, how do we do it? How can rewilding help us get towards an Ireland that supports all life, plant, animal and human? We all need to see ourselves as part of nature and I think that is possibly the heart of the problem that we have, that we have grown to believe that we're not a part of nature and so when you hear about things happening to the natural world, the impression might be that they're happening to somebody else or to something else. So it's sad for the fish or it's sad for the elephants but it's not really my problem it's not going to affect me so we all need to care about nature because it is our home i mean you could imagine if somebody turned up in the morning with a pickaxe and started hacking away at the walls of your house you wouldn't just sit there and go, oh, that's terribly sad, you know, that that wall is being hammered away. You'd get out of your chair and you'd go and you'd do something about it. But I mean, that is really what is happening to our planetary home. And yet we're still just sitting on the couch thinking, oh gosh, isn't it terrible? I know I've done it. It's easy to feel that we can't act or do enough, but it's important to remember that change is possible and every little change makes a big difference. I really wanted to do a project that focused on the solutions to our problems and also the people who are actively implementing those solutions on the ground because it can feel many days that you're just inundated with bad news. But it's very important to remember that there are lots of people out there who are just as worried as you are about it and there are lots of people 
people who are going beyond just worrying and actually doing the things that we want to see just on a much bigger scale. So there are farmers out there who are farming with nature. There are islanders out there who want to have a different relationship with the sea and be able to fish in a better way. And there are people who are rewilding and uh, and doing all these things. So Shaping New Mountains was an attempt to not only promote those ideas, but to try and draw the connections between all the different problems that we face. One of the things we have heard in the past was that, oh, we can't worry about nature now because we have a lot of unemployment and we have to build the economy. Oh, we can't worry about nature now because we have Brexit. And we can't worry about it now because we have COVID-19. Don't worry, we'll get to it. But actually, all of these problems are completely interconnected. Our economy is a subset of nature. So our economy depends on nature, not the other way around. So if we collapse the nature around us, we're going to collapse our economy. We know that COVID-19 has its roots in the destruction of nature, whether it's the way we treat farm animals or the way we traffic endangered species from one side of the world to the other and deforestation and all of these things. So the way we get out of this problem is by seeing those connections. We're raised to believe that everything in nature is connected. So the missing link is us. We have to see ourselves as part of that web of connections. Because we need to get the ball rolling. Rewilding can't happen without us making a conscious choice and actively helping the process along. I think the idea that humans can just close the gate and walk away is a fantasy. The reality is there's a lot of damage has been done to our landscape and it took a lot of time and effort and it will actually take effort and time to repair some of these landscapes as well. So as much as I love the idea that we let nature decide its own way, humans have to have a role in rewilding if we want the end results to be what they should be, which is a landscape reflective of what Ireland would have been like without human influence. Podrick started a new podcast called Shaping New Mountains, and it focuses on accentuating the positives. In Shaping New Mountains, I have proposed six big ideas for bringing nature back to Ireland and to our landscapes and to our lives as well. One of them is called regenerative farming, a way of producing food that nurtures the soil and that nurtures nature. And there are farmers who are doing that, and it's amazing and it's really bringing health back to the soil and providing better incomes for farmers. Another one is to restore the wild Atlantic rainforest. Ireland is one of the most deforested countries in the world. So I'm asking, you know, how can we bring back a big forest that is full of nature and full of wildlife? How can we bring nature back to our cities? So I take a look at Dublin and I wonder, you know, instead of thinking of cities as somewhere where nature is tolerable, can we look at our cities as really being sent to bringing nature back. Can we imagine Dublin with clean water in the River Liffey that's full of salmon? Could we think of Dublin Bay as a marine protected area? Could we create a wild wood in the Wicklow Mountains where we could get a bus down to the Wicklow Mountains and go walking in a forest with wolves in it someday? They're some of the big ideas that I've written about. I think that this doesn't just sound exciting. It sounds absolutely necessary. And you guys know it. I have autism and probably the best way for me to release my anxiety is definitely being outdoors in nature. When I'm out in nature, I really just like playing with my friends and playing soccer and climbing trees. Climbing trees is my favourite one. A mucky child is a happy child is my mum's famous quote. Yesterday I have muck all over my leg because I slid in a big patch of muck on purpose too. Sometimes it's just that environment that's just fun and friendly. I like seeing all the different things. I like seeing the plants. I like seeing the flowers. 
it wakes me up a bit and I sometimes feel if I'm inside for over an hour I feel I really want to go back outside now. Farming was our topic for the last two episodes and as the biggest owners of land farmers are an integral part of rewilding actually happening and not a moment too soon. So when it comes to agriculture, the first thing to say is that it's the most important sector for us to deal with within the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. And unless we can make changes in agriculture, then ultimately the plan will never be a success because so much of Ireland is farmed. What we find is that farmers are so willing to engage with it when we have a chance to speak with them and explain what it is that we're asking them to do. But we always say, you know, every farm, regardless of the type or the intensity level, can become more pollinator friendly by taking really simple actions that won't impact on productivity. And actually we have a project within the National Biodiversity Data Centre, it's a European Innovation Partnership funded project through the Department of Agriculture. It's called Protecting Farm and Pollinators. And we're working with a group of 40 farmers and they were deliberately chosen so that some are beef and some are dairy and some are mixed and some love biodiversity and some not interested in biodiversity and some are really intense and some aren't. What we're shown in that project is that every single one of them can take small actions to become more pollinator or more biodiversity friendly. Sometimes people ask, well, what is the one thing? If you could change one thing, what is it? And I always think if bees could talk, the one thing they would ask us to change is to have more flower and hedgerows in the landscape. That one simple change where farmers have hedgerows and they allow them to flower so that they're managed for biodiversity. If they flower in spring, they provide a really important source of food for pollinators. And then of course, you know, they get to, to fruit in the autumn when they're really important then for birds and other mammals. And that's the kind of thing that can happen, you know, without impacting on farmers' livelihoods or productivity. It's not just farming is a problem or fishing is a problem. It's the way that we farm is the problem. And the way that we fish is the problem. Uh, we can produce food, we can have fishing, we can have these things, but, uh, but not the way that we're doing it at the moment. You know, and maybe it comes back to rewilding. What I'd love to see is farmers being supported to where it's appropriate and where it's right, just to allow these amazing pockets of native woodland to just grow a little bit. And it's hoped that the more incentives our farmers have to farm for nature, the more they will engage. But not all of you are farmers, and you might feel you can't necessarily rewild anything. But actually, you've done so much over the course of the past few years already. I think young people and children have already had such an important impact in this debate in the last few years with the school strikes and Greta Thunberg. And so children should not feel that there's nothing they can do about it. They've already done enormous amounts to to bring it to the public attention. The problem is, of course, that, you know, we're still facing the politicians who aren't doing anything about it. My message to young people is to stay engaged, to know that you have power and you have agency to do things. The conversation you have with your friends, the conversations you have with your parents is really, really important because at the end of the day, we'll only solve these issues by talking about the problems. Also know that there are lots of people in the adult world who are also worried about this problem and who share your worries and who are doing our best to change. Reach out to other people who are working in this area because a problem shared is a problem halved. Why not get outside and see what you could do to become a part of nature again? I think young people can engage with spaces no matter where in Ireland they live or no matter what situation they live in. I mean, some people think that nature exists really only in the country, that you want to be living under Caron Tool in County Kerry to really experience nature. But actually, the truth is, if you're living in the middle of the city in Dublin or Limerick or Cork and you walk outside your door, if you're keeping your eyes peeled, you'll find some of the most amazing nature. And that goes from the tiny stuff like lichens growing on top of a wall. And I mean, there's a 
whole world to learn about lichens to mosses. And you might find like little plants or species like that a little bit boring. There might be insects in the cracks in the pavement, mammals like urban foxes. I think the main message I have for young people about engaging is keep your eyes open. Nature is absolutely everywhere, even in urban areas, out in your back garden. And, you know, you talked about rewilding a minute ago. One of the things about rewilding, some people say, oh, rewilding is only a thing if you do it on a landscape level, if you change a whole valley back to nature. I tend to think that we can rewild our back garden, create a wildflower meadow in our back garden that this year there's no bees or butterflies and next year we allow the wildflowers to grow and it's full of bees and butterflies. I don't see why anyone would say that's not rewilding. It is. It's tiny on a tiny scale, but it's important. And the pollinator plan backs this up. We published the first pollinator plan back in 2015, and we knew that we would have to reduce lots and lots of resources to explain to people how to help. But the one that we wanted to prioritise, and the very first one we developed after the main plan itself, was a junior pollinator plan. So we published the same plan, but written for kids so that they could understand what we were doing and they could understand how they can help. So there's lots of ways that you can help. You can help in your school, and we've got specific resources on the website. So if you go onto the website, pollinators.ie, and click on schools, there's loads of resources for things that you can do in the school as part of your class or outside around the school grounds to make them more pollinator friendly. We've also got lots of resources for things that you can do at home in your garden with your family. Sometimes people ask me, how important could one garden be? And the answer is incredibly important if enough people did it. Because if you put all those together, if everyone was doing it, all of a sudden there's a huge amount of new habitat for bees. And the thing about a garden is that it's a really important pit stop. The reason bees are declining is because they're hungry. So if your garden's a little pit stop where they can pop in, feed on, you know, flowers that you have there, and then move on, that is incredibly important too. And if enough of us were doing that across the country, the impact would be huge. The most important thing you can do in the garden is to not cut the grass so often. If your garden's like mine, most of it's given over to playing football or whatever sport you want to play. But there's other parts of it that I try to make sure are pollinator friendly. So we've got a strip down the side of this little patch at the front where we just don't cut the grass so much. What that does is it lets the little wildflowers which are in the soil, it gives them a chance to grow. So it is things like dandelion, clover, little simple things, they get a chance to grow. That is what pollinators want. That's what they've always had and that's what's missing. And that's a biodiversity action that's bringing back native grassland habitat that has been lost across the whole island. And the loss of that native grassland habitat is one of the key reasons why we have such problems with our biodiversity as well. You know, it's a free way of helping. It's the most cost-effective way to help. Just don't cut your grass often. Also, you know, when you're going to the garden centre, you can make sure to buy plants that are really rich in pollen and nectar, which are good sources of food. And then, of course, you know, it's always good not to use any chemicals in the garden that are going to negatively impact insects. Rewilding isn't the only answer. It's a part of a long list of things that need to be done to slow the effects of climate change, a menu from which we should order every item. Sometimes the easiest approach is to make it personal. Think about those places in the wild that matter to us. When I go on walks, I like to go down to the horses, and the horses make me happy also. I don't know, I think it's their gentle nature. They make me just happy. I don't know how to explain it. And I love going out down the lakes and... I remember once me and Lyle tried to go fishing and we ended up with all our socks wet and our wellies full of uh, water. I know it isn't very wild, but I love Beside the Fairy Glen in Phoenix Park. I did forest go there. I learned animal tracking about the various plants and trees. I love it. It is often the quietest place in the park. Curry Chase. I love to go there and play around because 
just all the different nature around the place and I love the surroundings and there's so much fabulous sounds from the animals. How much do we want to preserve those? How much do we all benefit from seeing those spaces flourish and grow bigger? My nickname has always been Wild Child. I love being out in the nature. I love the feel of grass under my feet, whether it's cold or has frost on it, or whether it's a warm day in summer and spring. I like to be at Sandy Mount, the beach. One day we went up to Sandy Mount and I really liked it. I climbed up the grass on the hill and my mom climbed up with me. It's kind of a little opening and we go to there, there's a little place surrounded by trees and bushes and there's a little lake at the bottom. It's always seems so safe. What I get out of being in the woods, I can't put my finger on it, but I am compelled to do it. For me, it's like a constant series of puzzles that you're working out. You're like, oh, right, that tree's there. Why is that there in this place with that moss and that insect on it? It's like a little investigative journey every time. Plus, I, I get an awful sense of peace and relaxation and solitude in these wild places, you know. I think they're rare. You know, they say what's rare is precious and and that's kind of what I'd like to do, go out and find these rare, precious places to spend time in. Again, we've only scratched the surface of this subject and we revisit it again soon, this time with added wolves. Huge thanks to Dr Una Fitzpatrick. Go to pollinators.ie for more help and guidance on how to make your homes and gardens that little bit wilder. Look up Shaping New Mountains to learn more about Podrick Fogarty's amazing plan to help get Ireland back in tune with nature. Follow Ray O'Faulu on Twitter to discover more about wild spaces he finds. And as always, our brain trust. If you haven't already, please write a review of Evolution on Apple Podcasts or share with us the steps you've taken to make a space for nature in your life. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Cockton for RTE Junior Radio. This is our RTE Junior Radio!